hub, and spoke. Audio Collective. Hi, it's Patrick Cox here, and this is Subtitle, a podcast about languages and the people who speak them, produced by Quiet Juice and the Linguistic Society of America. In this episode, we're headed to Germany to confront a word that means, well, we'll get onto that. Suffice to say, it's a short word with a confounding history. You could almost say it's an alternative history of Germany. It's also a word that gets thrown around a lot during election campaigns. And wouldn't you know, there's a general election in Germany coming up, most likely in September, which, as it happens, is similar to when I first reported this episode in 2017. Back then, it was before Germany's last general election. Okay, here goes. It's Nina Porzuki and me. I want to throw a word at you. Okay. Folk. Ooh. F-O-L-K. Like folk music? Sure. Okay, we listen to some music today? Is that what the podcast is about? <laughs> this land is your land, and this land is my land. All right, listen listen away. It's okay. a good word, folk. I like that word. You like it? Yeah. Yeah, Folksy, I like it too. People running through grass, overalls, flowers. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Banjos. I don't yeah, I mean, for me, it's like a kind of gentler version of the word people. Like old folks' home. It's nicer yeah. than old people's home. Right. Folksy. Folksy. It's a folksier word for people. <laughs> it's warm. Sure. Way warmer than people and far more sort of inclusive. Right. You feel that you're part of a larger body of people. This land was made for you and me. Today's part is all about the word folk. But the German version, which is Volk, V-O-L-K. Folk. 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 Just a simple sounding, uh, but it really is far, far more complicated in, in what it implies. Ich liebe mein Volk. And the thing with Volk is because German is this language that builds on compound beautiful, words. Beautiful compound word language. Yes. It, it has literally hundreds of variations where you can add suffixes or prefixes. There are just so, so many variations. Volkswagen. Volkswagen. A love bug from Walt Disney. What else? Give me some of the, the combinations. Okay, here's one. The word uh, for population is Bevölkerung. So that is very complicated. <laughs> Wait, say that three times fast, please. <laughs> no, no way. You're testing my German already. Um, are, are these words, all of these variations and the many meanings that they have, they've evolved from the very beginnings of, of German, from you know before the Brothers Grimm, through the Nazi era, through the communist era in East Germany, all the way to today. And at every single juncture, the words have been recycled and to a certain extent redefined. So my question for you, Patrick, does Volk have the same kind of warm, fuzzy, inclusive feeling in German as Folk does in English? Well, this is the whole nub of this podcast, because it, for the people who use this word a lot, yes, it, it does. It feels about as warm and inclusive as you could possibly get. Right. For the people who avoid using Volk, it's anything but inclusive. Wow. So people actually avoid using this word. Oh, yeah. People avoid it. And, and they are arguing over it to this day. You could say that, that this argument gets to the heart of really what it is to be German how people see themselves as Germans. It's, it's an argument over the soul of Germany. So the German election is pretty soon, right? Right, right. In uh, six days from now, as we speak. 
is this uh, idea, this Volk, and the people who use it and the people who don't, is this an election issue at all? It's certainly coming up a lot. People are using it in rhetoric or avoiding using it, and not just the word Volk, but also the various variations. And how and whether you use these words is, is very much a predictor of how you think about all kinds of things, whether it's you know immigration, big issue ever since the Germans took in more than a million Syrians and other Middle Easterners a couple of years ago. Also, of how you may feel about national guilt over the Holocaust. In fact, it's a predictor of how you may vote. The word Volk, a predictor of how you might vote. Wow. And just to be clear, I mean, this is a big deal election, speaking of big deals. The German election isn't just, you know, sort of the run of the mill. I mean, after... Brexit after the election of Trump, this like wave of nationalism across Eastern Europe. Right. I mean, it seems like uh, uh, Angela Merkel is is this one sort of beacon of stability right in the center of Europe, right in the center of the free world. And uh, yeah, a, a lot of people are seeing this in those terms. So how Germany votes and how Germany feels about these issues of things like inclusiveness are, are really key to uh, our futures. So what exactly then does Volk and its variations have to do with all of this? Well, let me take you first to the streets of Dresden in the former East Germany. This is a Pegida rally. You may have heard of Pegida. They, they made a lot of international headlines about three years ago. Pegida is an acronym in German. It stands for Patriotic Europeans Against the Islamicization of the West. They took to the streets of German cities, especially in the former East Germany. They were protesting the massive influx of refugees from the Middle East. And back then, they would regularly attract 30,000 demonstrators. That's no longer the case. But there are rallies most Monday evenings in Dresden. And on the evening that I went there, there were about 2,000 people listening to speakers, singing and marching. Many of the protesters are in their 50s and 60s. They're brandishing right-wing-themed flags and T-shirts with all manner of slogans. One guy, he was a local car dealer. He was wearing a Stetson hat and a Donald Trump T-shirt. And among just a handful of them is also some Nazi paraphernalia, just a handful of them. Like on one woman there, Charlotte Raufus is her name. She's in her 20s. She's wearing all black with neo-Nazi tattoos and a Wehrmacht T-shirt with the words, Heroes for Germany. Charlotte tells me she's wearing this in honor of her grandfather who fought in the Wehrmacht, the Nazi-era army, but has since felt shamed by it. I asked her to define the word folk. Ein Volk einfach als eine Gemeinschaft beschreiben, ähnlich wie es meine Vorrednerin schon getan hat. Folk means a community of the same ethnicity with the same values, she says. So, not immigrants. If two Muslims live in Germany and have a child, she says, that doesn't make the child German. It's like saying that a dog born in a horse stable is a horse. It doesn't make sense. Germany, she tells me, needs to re-establish its purity. Most others, they aren't that extreme when I ask them about the word folk. But they all seem to restrict who belongs and who doesn't. Here's Renata Schneider, a sweet-looking old lady wearing a white lace cardigan. Das deutsche Volk, das sind laut uh, 
The German folks, she says, are, by definition, people with the same culture, who speak the same language, who live here within a defined territory. This is the folk. Renata has experience with the word. She's from the city of Leipzig, which in 1989 is where protests began in East Germany that months later led to the downfall of communism. Wir sind das Volk, those protesters chanted. We are the people. We went on the streets in 1989, Renata says, for freedom and unity, for German sovereignty. But now, more than 25 years later, we see that Germany isn't sovereign at all. And our leader, Frau Merkel, she represents European and global interests, not German. These protesters, every last one I spoke to, said they'd definitely be voting in the upcoming election, voting for the AFD, the Alternative für Deutschland, the Alternative for Germany. It's a new party that has won seats in state parliaments, but not as yet in the national parliament, the Bundestag. If the opinion polls hold, the AFD has a shot at becoming the third largest political party in Germany. It's been a meteoric rise for the right wing here. After all, the Pegida demonstrations started only in the fall of 2014. At this time, I did not know what Pegida is. I even did not know how to pronounce correctly its name, Pagode, Pekuta, or something like that. So this is Werner Patzeld. I spoke to him in Dresden. He's a political science professor at the Technical University of Dresden. And he's considered to be sort of like the go-to guy on the Pegida movement. But like he says, he, he never even heard of them a couple of just two or three years ago. You know, he started by sending his students to Pegida demonstrations where they would interview the protesters. He figured out pretty quickly after that that um, the people who were marching, they kind of had a mix of views. Some of them were extremists, no question of doubt. Um, but many of them had much kind of vaguer notions of what they wanted. They They just felt like... They didn't quite know how they belonged in the new Germany, and they wanted to have more of a sense of belonging, which is why they ended up talking a lot about Volk. The term Volk is really interesting, because in a democracy, uh, the Volk is the source of uh, legitimate uh, political power. And for good reasons, uh, we have the inscription Dem Deutschen Volke in the front of the Berlin Reichstag. Yeah, it's true. It's there in big letters on the Reichstag, the German parliament, Dem Deutschen Volker, for the German people. Okay, okay, but the women that you interviewed at the demonstration, the young woman and the older woman, they actually are not defining Volk in the same way that the Reichstag is using the word. Yeah, right. I mean, they, they think of it very much as sort of white German people as opposed to... The people the in general people. living in Germany. Yeah, that's it, it's true. And, and this is where another key Volk-related term comes in. Patzelt, he thinks of Volk as, as what he calls an innocent word. But this derivation of Volk, which is Völkisch, he describes this as poisonous, if you can call a word poisonous. So Völkisch, on the face of it, it means national. But most Germans understand it to mean ethnic German. In other words, it's, it's code for white nationalism. And, and it's not used in polite company. It first became popular back in the 19th century before Germany was a nation and it had aspirations to becoming a nation. And the German-speaking lands, they were dominated by Napoleon and the French. This term Völkisch 
has developed already back in Imperial Germany to a self-description of people who said, well, we are different from these Welsh civilizations, Romantic civilizations. We are true Nordic, uh, true tradition of uh, sound Germanic uh, origins. And this Volkish idea of the German folk, it was, it was related to language and culture, but also to race. So there were German-speaking people spread across many, many different parts of Europe. They didn't yet have a nation, but here was this sense of cohesion. Okay, so what, what was the nature of the cohesion? Were, what bound all of these German peoples together, spread all over Europe? Was it language? Was it religion? It was largely because of the language. I mean, they, they all spoke this language with different variations of it. There was also religion. They were Christian. There were all kinds of different denominations, but, you know, everybody was Christian. Some people took this then a step further, and they made it an ethnic thing. So Jews and the Roma, they became excluded from, they would not be described as Volkisch. And at the same time, all across Europe, not just in Germany, there were a lot of kooky genetic theories kicking around that were kind of exclusionary. We're talking in, in the 19th century and Still in the 19th century. There were also Darwin's theories, which, you know, survival of the fittest species and all of that, which kind of bolstered this idea in the minds of, of people who already were predisposed to it uh, of a superior uber race of people. And then comes the 20th century and all that comes with it. I think I know where you're going with this. Yep, we're headed for the Nazis. This is a story about Germany, after all, in German history. And this is where the words Volk and Volkisch really get totally blown up. So the Nazis picked up this word, Volkisch. Yeah, the Nazis, as we will hear, went to town with these words. But it's the ultimate put down in Germany to call somebody else a Nazi. I mean... It's the bad enough. Put down anywhere, I think. It's bad enough anywhere, but it's a million times worse in Germany itself. And there's an awful lot of it that has been ever since these Pegida marches started. You know, those Pegida supporters, they're just they're all a bunch of neo Nazis. Just look at how they use these racist words and, and buy into these racist concepts around folk. You know, that's the argument. Werner Patzelt, though, he says that's wrong. Most of the Pegida demonstrators back in uh, 1516 and today simply do not have the necessary education and the necessary knowledge to use words like folkish to understand what folkish uh, means. Uh, They're simply not trained for these kind of things. They have not the relevant or necessary stocks of knowledge. It's, it's, It's out of their scope. It's as if I would talk about sophisticated instruments of the international financial markets. I know maybe some of the words, but I do not understand uh, what they really mean. And this is how you have to to, to think about Pegida demonstrators. Simple-minded, very often very narrow-minded, upset persons who are reluctant to think, to reflect about things. They have the feelings, they know about their feelings, they know that they are right, that everybody who disagrees with them is wrong, and so they have to, not, not, to, not to enter in arguments with, with opponents, but they have to confess 
they are, so to speak, religious believers in their private religion, whatever this may be, and how illiterate they are in, so to speak, religious terms. I, I, I would almost, sorry, excuse me, if I played that piece of tape before you said Pegida, I think a lot of listeners in the United States would think you were talking about Trump supporters. Yeah, indeed, indeed. Pegidians, AFD, Trump supporters, it's very much of the same thing. You would, uh, I, I guess, not claim that all supporters of, of, of Donald Trump are racist, fascists, and so on. They're narrow-minded, narrow-minded nationalists. Narrow-minded nationalists, huh? Just because they don't know the etymology of the word Volkish or what they're saying doesn't mean that they don't know the, the full like meaning of what you're saying, of the nuance that, that it's a word that is a hot-button word that has certain feelings and connotations associated with it. Did you come... I mean, you've done a lot of reporting on the alt-right here in the U.S., which, of course, have, has used neo-Nazi... Word, they've used, like, neo-Nazi... Well, Nazi the, slang, like Lugenpressa, and, and those sorts of words have come out of uh, Richard Spencer's mouth. So do they, are there similar arguments here that protesters, if when they're using certain phrases, key phrases that they don't necessarily know what they are saying because they're not sophisticated enough to understand the etymology of some of these words? Well, I certainly think that many people might not know the etymology, but you can't let people off the hook from using these specific terms because they do know that they like elicit strong feelings and strong emotions. Hold your judgment. Okay. Uh, there'll, there'll be a little bit more on words that some of the people on the street protests are using in the second half. And we'll join some other dots, hear about the Nazis too, and what they did to these folk words after the break. Okay, recommendation time. We have a couple of book recs coming up at the end of the show. Right now, I want to recommend a podcast. It's called Soonish. Is hosted by journalist Wade Rausch. You may have heard him in a subtitle episode called How to Communicate with Aliens. Soonish brings you stories and conversations about technology with an eye on the future and how to improve it. And in the latest episode, Wade takes us on a tour of The Engine, which is a new venture capital firm started by MIT that's funding some of these future-minded tech projects. Like, for example, a company that wants to build a nuclear fusion energy plant within 10 years, super fast and potentially game-changing. Listen to Soonish at soonishpodcast.org or wherever you get your podcasts. Back to folk and back to April 20th, 1933. That was Adolf Hitler's 44th birthday. Hitler and the Nazis had just taken total control of Germany's government. And they were now making moves to control how people thought, how they spoke. Victor Klemperer, he was a German academic, a linguist. He was documenting all of this. He kept a diary throughout the Nazi years, and he was especially focused on the way the Nazis were using words. This was part of his entry for that day, April 20th, 1933. The term Volk, he writes, is now as customary in spoken and written language as salt at table. Everything is spiced with a soupçon of folk. Folk's fest, festival of the people. Volksgenosse, comrade of the people. Volksgemeinschaft, community of the people. Volksnah, one of the people. 
Volksfremd, alien to the people. Volksentstammt, descended from the people. This was just the beginning of the Nazis' obsession with folk. They invented more than 50 words in the period of the Third Reich, more than 50 compounds uh, with folk. This is linguist Georg Schuppener. But you can also say George. It's, it's the same for me. OK, George is writing a book on the language of the German right wing. Folk-related words are a big part of it. There were tons of them before the Nazis came along. In the dictionary of the Brothers Grimm, there are 63 rows of Volk compounds recorded. But the Nazis really upped the ante with their inventions. For example, uh, Volksboden, that's the um, earth of the people. Volkischer Beobachter, that was a newspaper of the Nazis. Volksbewusst Volksempfänger, that was a people's radio. So they invented some words, but also they used some words in a new meaning. For example, the word Volkisch. Yeah, that word Volkisch, the one that originally was supposed to mean national, but even before the Nazis, had an ethnocentric sense to it. Under Hitler, its meaning got turbocharged into something like purebred Aryan. After Hitler's defeat and Germany's humiliation, what happens to all of these words? Words that, as Werner Patzelt said earlier, had been poisoned. Well, what happened depended on which post-war Germany you lived in. In West Germany, the words were shamefully discarded, forever it seemed at the time, discarded for having been associated with Nazism and the Holocaust. But in communist East Germany, some Volk-related words were laundered of their Nazi associations and became battle cries of the working class, the people's this, the people's that. Which brings us to today. Now Germany is reunified and has taken in millions of refugees. And there's another reckoning about... Who are we as Germans? Josephine Graef is a researcher at the University of Birmingham in the UK. She thinks words like Völkisch are making a comeback today because people are confused about what it is to be German. And so those on the new right are... Trying to conceive of um, Germans as a, as a more homogenous identity than it actually is. And Völkisch does just that. It conjures up a German identity that is utterly homogeneous. No wonder one of the best-known right-wing politicians, a woman called Frauke Petri, recently suggested in a newspaper interview that Germans should start using Völkisch again, normalizing it. And another Nazi-era word has started trending now. Volksverräter, traitor of the people, used by the Nazis to denounce anyone who questioned them. Here it's used by right-wing protesters to denounce a mainstream politician. Angela Merkel has been branded a Volksverräter many times for her open refugee policy. Volksverräter suggests that the elite is working against the interest of the German people, so the, the German people are being betrayed. 
Patrick, my question for you, this is all rather disturbing, by the way. Thanks for bringing this up in the podcast. But who is reintroducing the language? Is it politicians like Frauke Petri who are sort of reinserting Volkish in, in these sort of words in a quasi kind of top-down Nazi era way? Or is this coming from the populace? Is this coming from the internet or or the mainstream and and like trickling out into the public. I think I, th- I think it's from? a bit of both. Yeah, there's certainly evidence that just like with the alt right here in the United States, the internet and the possibilities that the internet gives for networking and it's certainly being used a lot. But then there are also a series of influential people like Patri who are throwing out these words. Mm. And I went to meet one of, the one of these people. Yeah, this is uh, a guy who He's a kind of philosophical high priest of the new right in, in Germany. His name is Goetz Kubischek. And he lives in a little village in the former East Germany. We actually showed up there unannounced, and he invited us to stay for lunch. Here he is with his family saying a prayer before eating. It was quite a scene. Three or four of Kubischek's kids were there at the table. His wife was also there. She's a well-known lifestyle blogger. Um, all the rooms in this grand old farmhouse, they're full of bookcases, books everywhere. It's an, it's an intellectual's home. And Kubischek, he runs a right-wing publishing company right out of the house. He's sort of like some kind of German Steve Bannon. Yeah, yeah, there's kind of a bit of that about him. But he's not slovenly like Bannon. Right, because he's German. <laughs> right. he's, he's tall, well-dressed. Uh, he has some hipster facial hair. And if you look him up, he's got a finger in just about every right-wing pie in Germany. He takes a lot of these fringe movements and organizations under his wing, and he tries to nurture them. And when he's speaking to you, there's, there's such a contrast between how he sounds, which really softly spoken, and the harshness of what he says. Das Volk ist eben auch eine identitäre Gemeinschaft. Here he is talking about the word Volk. He, he defines Volk as a community that has a common identity. And the political advantage that he sees in that is that it creates this really strong sense of belonging. You know, with Volk there's an us, and there are other people, as he puts it, who are not us. So using this word means that you can create in his mind political power and also political tension that, as he puts it, may or may not lead to non-peaceful situations. Wow. I got the sense that Kubischek is incredibly frustrated by the taint of Nazism. Um, so I, I wonder what he took from that, whether it meant that he should temper his own language. He said, no, no, you cannot compromise. Not when you're dealing with Germany's mainstream politicians. You, you can't become part of the establishment. These are people who let in the migrants and the refugees, who told us, he says, not to be proud of our history, who told us not to use the word folk. And now they're destroying this sense of us that, that folk gives us. We need to keep on fighting, he told me putting our finger in the wound. That kind of stuck with me. Creating an us and a them. He sounds really rather calculating. I mean, he sounds kind of like a politician. I think the way that he views it is if Nazism hadn't taken place, then it would be legitimate to think of the German people as does folk, to, to have this really strong sense of German identity, and it just wouldn't be tainted by Nazism. So it gets in the way. 
it gets in the way of his political ambitions. Wow. Um, So speaking of political ambitions, uh, the election is this coming weekend. And AFD, the Alternative für Deutschland. The right-wing party. Yeah, the right or Alternative for Germany party is looking pretty promising for a newly created party. They might become the third largest party in Germany. That's what you said earlier. Yeah, yeah. That's what the opinion polls are suggesting. But number three equals 11% right now in the polls. And Angela Merkel's party is way out in front of that. Okay, so we've heard Angela Merkel being criticized throughout. She's too Europe-facing, all these other things. But what exactly, drilling down when you spoke with all these folks, do they dislike about her? I got a couple of guesses. One is that she is the establishment. She's run Germany as chancellor for the last 12 years. Sure. But maybe more important, she's one of them. She is one of the folk. She was raised in East Germany. Huh. And her party, the Christian Democrats, that is traditionally the party of the right. And when we say right here, though, we have to clarify that right, I mean, right in the German sense is like sort of... The Democrats yeah, in the U.S. far left in the U.S. <laughs> sense of the word. But nonetheless, but, it's the party of the right. And there she is having betrayed her people, her folk, by bringing in the refugees. Huh. And and presumably Merkel has had th- some thoughts. Like, has she spoken about this word Volk and the sort of rise of these this like Nazi era language? Well, it's interesting. She has largely avoided the term and instead substitutes it for another folk-related word that I mentioned at the top of the pod: Bevölkerung, population, which is a completely neutral term. But there was one time earlier this year that she, by her standards, completely lost it with Pegida and the AFD people over precisely this, the word folk. It was in a speech after she had been repeatedly criticized for not saying folk. She started with a bit of recent history. She said how wonderful it was in 1989 when the Iron Curtain fell and Europe grew together. And because of this wonderful moment and coming together, she said, there is absolutely no justification for these small groups, she means the right-wing groups, to assume that they can define who the German folk are. And then she ends with this. The folk is everyone who lives in this country. No restrictions. Anyone. Everyone. Wow, that's a pretty big statement. Okay, that's the show for today. Hope you enjoyed it. Tina Toby mixed this episode. Also, big thanks to Bianca Bada for help with the German language. Also, thanks to PRI as the world the very great radio program. A couple of other thanks to Helmut Kellershohn and Udo Stiel. They helped me understand much more than I did before about the German language and history. And a massive thank you to Frank Hessenland. He co-reported much of this episode with me, asked nearly all of the smart questions, and drove hundreds of miles in the world's most badass gold Mercedes. <laughs> Frank! schön, dude. Book recommendations, Patrick. Yes, Victor Klemperer's diaries. They yes. are one of the most revealing first-hand accounts of life under the Nazis. Chilling. Chilling, uh, but fantastic reading. And here's a book that isn't 
so chilling, but is extremely good and funny. Um, it's a memoir about learning German. It's Rebecca Schumann's Schadenfreude, a love story. I read it recently. This is what it's about, just like it says on the front cover. Me, the Germans, and 20 years of attempted transformations, unfortunate communications, and humiliating situations that only they have words for. Only the Germans have oh, words for. They have great words. LOL funny. Patrick, you say your internet sling. Check us out at Lingopod. And please, please, if you have the chance, write a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you hear us. Stitcher, Pocket Cast, wherever you can write a review, write a review. It really, really helps. Thanks for listening. We'll be back soon. Hub and Spoke. Audio Collective. Louis, you want to get out? Louis's a funny dog. He keeps running in and out. Oh, you're back again. Louis, I got to do this, okay? Sorry. Wade Roush. You may have heard him in a subtitle episode called How to Communicate with... <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> Louis, it's okay. You want to sit on the bed with me? Okay, I know it's kind of funny that I got a blanket over my head and I'm talking seemingly to myself. I understand that's... That's a challenging concept to get your dog head around.